Okay, so raise your hand if you want to change your part of the world. Okay? Raise your hand if you've never met Paul in person. Me neither. So, the book of Colossae is the, the book of Colossians is actually very appropriate for us because he was writing this letter from a prison in Rome to a group of believers in Colossae that he'd never met. And I bet these guys also wanted to, they wanted to do right. They wanted to live righteous lives and they wanted to grow spiritually. But there were these heresies that were trying to make their way into the Colossian church. And so Paul is writing basically to correct those things, to to tell these guys, hey, you don't need to do that. You don't need to do that. No, no, focus on Jesus. The title of our whole series is Jesus, only Jesus. Paul's been warning these guys about multiple heresies and false teachings. Um, He was warning them about the Gnostics. Their formula was this. Look, Jesus is great, but you need Jesus plus our secret knowledge. Okay? He was warning them about the mystics who were promoting angel worship. What you need is Jesus plus an angel to intercede for you. Uh, Again, we still see things like this, the idea that we need another intermediary besides Jesus even in um, our society today, right? People praying to Mary and to, to dead saints. Jesus, Paul says, you, you don't need that. Um, there were ascetics, which is basically, their, their formula was Jesus plus self-severity. If you really love God, you'll avoid this and you'll avoid that and you'll give up this and you'll give up that and you'll really know that you're doing Christianity right when it hurts. And then there were the Jewish legalists. And their formula was Jesus plus the Jewish rules. And those are the first people we're going to meet here in verse 16. Uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, Paul continues and he says, Let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. Now that's how I know that he's talking very specifically about the, the Jewish legalists. He's talking about the Judaizers. These guys would find a town of recently converted Gentiles like Colossae and they would say, oh, you believe in Jesus as your Messiah, huh? And you've surrendered to him. Awesome, good. That's an excellent start. You are well on your way to becoming a full-fledged Jew and then God will really be happy with you. Then they would proceed to list all of the different things the good Jews did and didn't do. And for the Jew, that list was really long, and it reminded me of this meme. Maybe you've seen it. (laughs) The book Understanding Women has finally arrived in bookstores. It's it's like the Judaizers would come in to Colossae with that, that big, huge book and say, Welcome to Christianity. Here's your starter kit. We'll start with circumcision. Easy peasy, right? Oh, and here's the Jewish calendar. You'll need to observe the the new moons, all of our festivals. Oh, and obviously you'll need to eat and drink kosher from now on. So no more pigging out on bacon. You need to pull pork from your menu. We will want to see all pork chopped from your grocery list. And of course you can't shop at Piggly Wiggly. Paul says about all of that stuff, verse 16, let no one judge you in food 
or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. Don't let anyone tell you that, you that you'll be closer to God if you're further from bacon. Now, some of you who've never taken notes in your life are suddenly writing down this verse. You're like, what's that verse again? Because you're seeing that you can use it to defend yourself against the, the flaming arrows of certain people, right? The militant vegans. Hey, it says right here, you can't judge me in, in food and drink or for that matter, militant carnivores. You can, you can use this to defend against anyone who says that all real Christians are completely teetotalers. Now, I happen to be a teetotaler. It's a choice of mine. It's a leadership choice. But you can't possibly, according to this verse, say that no one should ever be able to drink, uh, uh, have, have a drink now, of course, drunkenness is obviously a sin. Now, you're, you're probably looking at this and going, wow, this could also really be handy with the Jehovah's Witnesses and Seventh-day Adventists when they insist that you're something less because you don't observe the real Sabbath, Saturday. That is the real Sabbath if you're going to go down that road. This is your verse. Now, this doesn't mean that you can't be a vegan. It doesn't, probably doesn't mean that you shouldn't necessarily be a, a vegan. You might be healthier, but just don't think that God is happier with you and your kelp smoothie than he is with me and my bacon burger. Verse 16, so let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, and here's why. They are a shadow of things to come. But the substance is of Christ. So the Old Testament dietary laws, the Jewish festivals, new moons, the Sabbaths, these were just the shadow, and Jesus is the substance, the real thing. Hey, Craig, you want to head, head on over here? I might need, might need a volunteer. Since I've been picking on Rob, I'll, I'll pick on Rob again. You just stand right outside your, uh, your pew there. Craig's going to put a spotlight on you. Y'all, the, the Bible is an epic, slow burn. Can you get all of them in it? There we go. So the, the Bible is an epic, slow burn picture of... I saw that, Steve. <clears throat> it's a picture of how God's going to rescue the world, right? So if you're in the Old Testament, okay, I know this takes a lot of imagination, but pretend that... that uh, Rob is Jesus, <laughs> okay? <laughs> this, this, this shadow here, right? This was how the Old Testament would have, the, the folks in the Old Testament, they would have seen like, okay, all right, so, so this, this must be, this is pointing to the fact that God really does have a rescue plan and he's really going to bring a rescuer. He's going to really bring a person who's going to come and rescue us. Um, but some of the Judaizers were coming in and saying, Look, Jesus is good and all, but, but don't forget the, the rules. Don't forget the traditions. Don't forget the, the stuff that we've, we've grown used to, right? I think you might be able to turn that away. Yeah, go ahead and turn that off. Thanks, Rob. The, I think the, Paul, the point that Paul's trying to make here is, look, don't focus on the shadow of Christ, 
Focus on Christ. How many of you have been dads? You're, you're still dads, hopefully. Um, remember when your kids were in that really little stage where when you come home, they'd want to want you to pick them up and stuff, right? Yeah? So imagine that, that time when you, when you walk in um, and they don't yet see you, but they see your shadow, right? And they start to get excited, like, Daddy's home, Daddy's home, right? And then because of the way the light works, you, you turn the corner and they see, they recognize that you're there, but they jump down and start hugging on your shadow. It would be ridiculous, right? If, if your kids did that, instead of actually embracing the real you, just the shadow, you would say, this is a bit shady. Paul says, don't focus on the rules. Focus on the ruler. Don't focus on the law. Focus on the Lord. Don't focus on the regulations. Focus on your rescuer. Don't focus on the shadow. Focus on the substance. And our text divides very nicely into those two statements. Don't focus on the shadow. And we're going to look at that first. And then we're going to talk about focusing on the substance. Before we do, I want to make sure and make a promise to you. Um, We kind of flew by it, but I think I can show you toward the end of the the service how Jesus truly fulfills all of the, the shadows that are mentioned there in verse 16. All right? So, but first, don't focus on the shadow, and here's the first reason. If you do, it will have unintended side effects. Look at verse 18. Paul says, let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. Basically, Paul's saying, look, if you buy into this man-centered method, which is, okay, there's the rules, I got my list, I, I got the things that I'm supposed to do, the boxes that I'm supposed to check off. If you buy into that, it will immediately begin to cheat you of your reward. Now, what is the Christian's reward? Christ is my reward. Christian's reward is the fact that you get to walk around feeling near to the God of the universe, right? Basically, Paul's saying, if you fall for this, I've got to work harder stuff than the very nearness of Jesus will become one of the first casualties. If you start to think, okay, well, God will be happier with me if I, if I can check off these boxes, then the, the nearness, that, that joy, that feeling of the Lord being near will be one of the first casualties. Now, make no mistake, it's not like he's gone anywhere, but that, that understanding, that knowing that he is near will be one of the first casualties. And here's how I can prove it to him. Guaranteed, when you start to do the checking off the boxes religion, one of two things will happen. Either you'll forget to check off the box and you'll go, oh, I blew it. God's probably not happy with me now. Or the opposite. Nailed it. God's pretty happy with me. He's going to have to do something good for me now. Right? In both situations, you're actually forfeiting the nearness of God. Because 
The Bible says that he gives grace to the humble, right? But he, um, but he resists the proud. So another, and another side effect that's kind of tied with it is false humility. Another way of saying false humility is pride. <laughs> you guys are probably familiar with that when somebody's like, you know, this shirt looks terrible on me, doesn't it? <laughs> They're begging you to say, no, no, it looks great. One of the winds of heresy that was, that was wafting, wafting through Colossae went something like this. If you really want to seek God, you need to show him how humble you are. And well, we happen to be so humble, we know, and we know that God is so holy that we would never be so bold to worship God directly. So we worship angels, and we let angels worship God for us. Aren't we spiritual? And apparently people would try to top each other's humble sessions. Basically, somebody would, must have been saying something like this. So one time I was worshiping and I had this vision. Notice what it says. Taking delight in false humility and worship of angels. Intruding into those things which he has seen or not seen. Okay, that's a weird thing. New King James has the word not seen. How many of you have that? The word not seen. Does anybody have... Um, or which is it? Now I'm all confused. Yeah. Anybody have, I think it's the NIV. That says, into the things which he has seen. So is it talking about the things which the guy's seen or the things that, which the guy has not seen? Here's what the NIV says. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. That kind of confused us a little bit on Tuesday and I still don't have a great answer other than this. One way to reconcile those two uh, obviously very different translations is this. If you put the word seen in quotations, then it actually makes sense in the NIV. In other words, such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. In other words, either they're lying or maybe they're telling you the truth, but they're not at all sure really the, the source of, of this thing that they've seen. Either way, Paul's talking about people who want to compare notes with you about their spiritual experiences. And the verse ends up by saying that they end up vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. So again, religion of rules and regulations, etc., can only result in you either feeling defeated because you're not as spiritual as the next guy or you feeling super proud, humbly proud, because you can check off more boxes than the next guy. And the side effects go on and they get worse. Verse 19. And not holding fast to the head from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. Y'all, another side effect of a man-centered religion is spiritual regression. And again, it's the very opposite of what somebody thinks they're doing when they start to, okay, I'm going I'm to be disciplined and, and go down this list. But it truly ends up being spiritual regression. I tried to think of an illustration. Okay, here's my illustration. Imagine that I'm a bodybuilder. Pretty easy, right? <laughs> Biceps rippling. Look at the gun show. Now imagine that my right arm decides the rest of my body is kind of lame. Those guys don't work as hard as I do. They're not as cool as I am. They're not as informed as I am. They don't get it. So the right arm 
decides it's going out on its own. An army of one. Okay, yeah. It, de- it detaches from the body and especially the head. Is that arm going to grow anymore? Not on its own. Y'all, because legalism feeds on comparison, it isolates itself, it isolates its victims from the body and from the head. And all the time, the whole while, the, the body part is telling itself, I'm too spiritual for that church. I know way more than those people do. But in fact, the desired growth is stopped because all growth comes from, it says, the head whom the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, the head working through the body, right? That's how growth happens. Do you see how self-imposed religion can look very holy, but it actually has all of these unintended side effects? It also results, verses 20 to 22, in unnecessary slavery. Verse 20, (laughs) excuse me. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, Okay, pause there for a second. What's he talking about there? How many were here last week? Remember when we talked about death and resurrection last week? We had an awesome baptism. I forgot to tell you, unfortunately, um, unfortunately for us, but fortunately for her, uh, Georgino is not going to get baptized today, not so that her husband can see it next week because he couldn't make it this time. So yay. So we had an example last week and we'll have an example next week of death and resurrection. It's a throwback to verse 12, actually. Let's read that together. Um, Christian, you were buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he's made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross." We saw it last week and we'll see it again next week. Y'all, baptism is the perfect picture of what happens when you surrender to Jesus. The old you died. All of the guilt, all of the shame, all of the sin, all of the things you've done wrong, dead and buried. Jesus took your rap sheet, verse 14, And the word is he literally obliterated every sin that you've ever committed, that you ever will commit. He took it out of evidence. It can no longer be used against you because he's already paid for that sin on the cross. Baptism is a perfect picture of this. The old you died, you are dead to sin and you are alive to God according to Romans chapter six. And if that's true, Paul says, look at verse 20 again. Therefore, If you've already died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, that is the guilt, the shame, the I've got to work my way to heaven. If you've already died to that, then why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with their using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. We saw last week how the doctrines of men are so basic, they're so far below what God actually wants for us, right? The doctrines of men. Verse 22, 
where it says perish with the using. I think that harkens back to the, to the words of Jesus. I, I forgot to tell you, but you can turn with, Mark to, to me, with me to Mark chapter 7, if you're able. Mark chapter 7, I'm going to read you a, a text that I think Paul's referring to here. Mark chapter 7, verse 14. When he had called all the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear me, everyone, and understand. There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, then in verse 17, when he had entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples came and asked him concerning the parable. In other words, uh, we didn't get that. What were, what were you getting at? So he said to them, verse 18, are you thus without understanding to also? Do you not perceive, notice, that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not enter his heart but his stomach and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. And he said, what comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of man, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from, notice, within and defile a man. Jesus says, look, the problem is not what's outside coming in. Man's kind problem is that there's evil on the inside. But Paul's saying to the people in Colossae, look, you've died. Jesus has solved that problem for you. He's begun changing you from the inside out. And you've been set free from all that outside-in nonsense. And he says, look, if you go back to that, you're resubmitting yourself to slavery, and it's unnecessary. Do you see that legalism, that is, don't touch, don't taste, don't handle, don't smoke, don't chew, don't go with girls who chew, it's all man-made, fix the outside stuff. And some of it is smart and good, but it's, it doesn't fix the inside. It's not how you conquer your sin nature. You will never, let me say this, make sure everybody's paying attention. You will never win the war on your own sin by checking off a list of don'ts or checking off a list of do's by hard work and self-denial. As a matter of fact, that's the very point in verse 23. All of your self-denial, that is, I'm gonna work harder, I'm gonna do better, I'm gonna give up this, I'm gonna give up that, I'm gonna observe this ritual or that one, all of it, verse 23, is useless against seduction. Verse 23, these things indeed have an appearance of wisdom. They look very holy, they look like, wow, look at that guy. In self-imposed religion, false humility, and the neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Paul says these things may look like you're more spiritual than the next guy, or that you're totally serious about your sin. Paul says, but it's all self-imposed. Self-effort, it's all self-imposed religion. He says the word false humility if I put ashes on my head to show my lowliness, my humility before God. Y'all, that's the outside. It says the neglect of the body. 
Apparently there were Pharisees who when they'd fast, they, they wouldn't bathe. Wow, that guy is holy. He's so holy, he's rancid. Holy moly, he's holy. Paul says all these things seem spiritual and self-sacrificing, but they are of no value when it comes to the indulgence of the flesh. In other words, Paul is saying at the end of all of this, on top of all this, it doesn't even work. Again, look no further than Ash Wednesday. What do you call the night before Ash Wednesday? Fat Tuesday. Tuesday. You knew that really quick. What do most people do on Fat Tuesday? Not most people, the people who observe Fat Tuesday get hammered, get wasted, get stupid, flash your bodies, indulge in everything you want because tomorrow we're getting spiritual. (laughs) Or same kind of concept with dieting, right? You're super disciplined. You lose 30 pounds over two months. How do you want to celebrate? Hot fudge Sunday, right? <laughs> Paul says when it comes to sinning less or loving more or becoming more like Jesus, legalism is useless. Self-denial is useless. False humility is useless. It's like trying to shake hands with a shadow. So, then the question is, how do we sin less? In this broken, messed up world, how can we be more like Jesus? How do we sin less, love more? Well, the answer is probably figuring this out every time we come to this this series. The answer is always going to be Jesus, only Jesus. Let's go back real quick before we go on. Look back at verse 16 for a real quick look. He says, so let no one judge you in food, food or in drink or regarding festival or new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. I promised you, I was going to try anyway. Let's see if I can do this free range here. I promised you I was going to show you how Jesus is the substance, right? These other things are the shadow. Um, let no one judge you in food is the first thing. Who was it that said, I am the bread of life who's come down from heaven. Jesus. Drink. Who was it that, was it that said, I am the fount of living water? Whoever drinks of me will never thirst again. Jesus. New moons. I had to look that one up. That's also a Jewish thing. And they would be very, very, um, be very, very careful. They would actually have people standing watch to, to, be the first one to see, oh, there's the new moon, because they didn't have a lot of the stuff that we, they definitely didn't have a calendar on their iPhones. (laughs) They didn't know, you know, okay, okay, today's the beginning of the next month. So they would have people standing watch, and then those people, at first glance of what was the the new moon, they would go to the the rabbis, they would go to the, the leaders and say, I think I saw it, I think I saw it, they would, then they would have to confirm it. It was basically this, this long thing, and it was a celebration of a new month. Well, wouldn't you say that Jesus is our beginning, our new beginning every, well, not only every month, but every day? And then Sabbath, well, that one's easy. Jesus said over, over and over again, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. What did he say? Come to me and I will give you 
rest. Y'all, the reason we don't have to meet on Saturday is because we're supposed to be at rest in Him every day, every day of the week. And then there's the seven feasts. Did a little bit of research on this. Passover. Was that the that, that festival that reminded Israel that God would pass over any family that had the, the lamb, right? Fast forward to John the Baptist pointing at Jesus and says, there's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The feast of unleavened bread, y'all, that was the, the next night. And it was... a a festival or an observation of pure bread that was broken and pierced. Then there's the Feast of First Fruits just a few days later. That's the very first harvest that comes out of the ground. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. He was, and it was on Resurrection Sunday when the, the Feast of First Fruits happened. Then there's Pentecost. That's when the rest of the harvest happens, right? What happened on Pentecost? Acts chapter two, great harvest, 3,000 souls with just one sermon from a guy who was a scaredy cat just a, a few weeks before. Then there's the fall feasts, feasts of trumpets. Trumpets were blown to proclaim liberty, liberty and to signal in the harvesters to quit working and to come and worship. What does Jesus say about liberty? He says, I've come to set those who are captive free. And we believe that when the trumpet blows, the rapture will happen, and that's the signal to all of the harvesters, all the disciple makers, that it's time to, to leave the harvest and come and worship. Then there's the fall feast of atonement. Well, Christ is the Lamb of God who brought atonement, right? The word means at one mint. It means that he brought me back into fellowship with God the Father. And then finally, there's the t Feast of Tabernacles. That's where they celebrated the fact that God was with them in the wilderness. Guess what? Jesus. The, in, in John chapter 1, it says that Jesus tabernacled with men. He took on human skin. He came and camped with us, right? And then, of course, the Sabbath. Jesus is rest. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. Do you see that all of these traditions, they were just the shadow that was pointing to the real thing, Jesus. Paul, I think, is making it clear here. He wants us to focus not on the shadow, but on the substance, not on the rules, but the ruler. And I just have two more phrases. Two more phrases. They're pretty quick. Won't be too long now. Four words. I like that. It's nice and simple. Here's your four words. Hold fast and look up. Look back at verse 19 for the words hold fast. Think about this. If you take the bad example of the legalists out and we do the opposite, you will grow spiritually. That's what verse 19 says. In other words, if you don't do what they do and instead do this, verse 19, hold fast to the head from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. What does that remind you of? To me, when Jesus says, I'm the vine and you're the branches, what's your one job? Hold fast, right? 
Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, Jesus says, you're kindling. But if you, if you make your one job to hold fast, then guess what? That sweet sap can flow from me to you, through you, and you are producing, guaranteed you're producing good fruit. And you're, you're the people in this broken world that this broken world needs to see. Then the last, last phrase, hold fast and look up. Look at chapter three, verse one. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the earth. For if you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God, for, excuse me, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God, When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So Paul's saying, look, you guys are, you're already dead to this world. Don't become slaves to this man, to to man's traditions. Your life is safely hidden with Christ in the heavens. Y'all, we are particularly outfitted, well outfitted, to live in a scary world. Because we're already dead. Right? But notice that he says, how many times you see the word above or set your mind on things above? So basically for the, for the Christian, it's not about, okay, I gotta follow this rule, I gotta do this, I gotta check this off, I gotta check this off. And from what I'm seeing in this text, it's basically two things. Hold fast and look up. We did a little bit of talking on Tuesday and I wasn't clever enough to, to fully think out fully think through this illustration, but I think I can try to, try to bring it together here. We talked about the shadow versus the substance, right? One of the dialogues that we started to get on was the idea that we have, how ridiculous would it be if I had a picture of Lisa? My phone's probably in, over there. That's a good thing. Leave your phone over there. But I have a picture of Lisa and I'm She's right there, but I'm looking at her picture saying, hey, how's it going? Right? And then we talked about how FaceTime now has kind of brought a whole new wrinkle into it, right? Um, more than once I've seen people uh, text each other on Facebook while they're sitting next to each other in a, on a couch, <laughs> right? I think I got a couple pictures I wanted to show you. So there's a party, and here's another party. That's the way things have become, right? And we, and we wonder why we're not really connected with each other. Um, this is not necessarily to, to make the main application that, but here's what I'm getting at. Isn't it possible that we're doing the same thing with Jesus? That we're tempted to look at the, okay, if I check off the box, if I, then I'm, I'm interacting, I'm having social interaction with Jesus but we fail to realize that he's right here in our midst, that he, he actually wants to have that relationship with us. Um, again, I wasn't able to think it all the way through, but it seems to me like there's probably a parallel you could make with, it would, be, it would be ridiculous for Lisa to be here and me to be talking to her picture. It would be only slightly less ridiculous for her to be here and me talking on um, talking with her on FaceTime, 
right? The most appropriate thing would be to talk to her face to face. <clears throat> there is a, a little bit of a weirdness because Jesus is not yet face to face with us, right? But I, I tend to think that we're, we're choosing the, the least interactive mode possible and patting ourselves on the back and saying, yeah, I, I did my quiet time or yeah, I, I did this so therefore I, I must be, I feel close to God and I feel better than that person for sure, okay? Um, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your mercy and your goodness. Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to just boil this down over the next few minutes and, and, and learn how to pray for one another. I pray that we would surrender to you or whatever that looks like in, in each of our cases. And I pray, Lord, that you would have your way with us and you would uh, prepare us and prepare, prepare us for the world that you're, you want to send us out into this week, Lord. We love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.